Welcome to the Chabad Around the World podcast. My name is Mandy Bressinger, and I'll be your host, taking you on an adventure every single week. Together, we'll fly out to remote places around the world to meet up with the Chabad emissaries, hear about their stories, their daily activities, and the inspiration that keeps them going on a daily basis. Welcome aboard. Welcome, welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, so good. Awesome. It's my pleasure and my honor to be able to share a little bit of our community. Uh, you're saying I hope to bring the warmth, to bring in a little bit of the cold today. Actually, it's rather windy. It's around like 60, 63 degrees, and here it's freezing. You see oh. people at 65 degrees are wearing their winter coats. Uh, they're wearing boots just in case it might rain. It rains three times a year, but when it's cold, it might rain, you know? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I guess everything is relative, but I guess you can blame it on us. We sent you the cold weather. We wanted to share a little bit. We needed some empathy. Anyways, right. Rabbi Yosef, it's a pleasure to have you on board. It's actually fascinating as I was looking on the map to see exactly where we're headed. It seems to me that you're very close to Las Cabos, which is another place we visited just a few weeks ago. Uh, Rabbi Benny. Yes, yes. Los Cabos is a two and a half hour drive. And uh, Rabbi Benny and I, we actually, thank God, we're blessed to be at least in some relative of proximity to each other. And we can see each other once in a while. Uh, wow. It's always nice to have someone else to share your meat orders. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, I'm sure. Wow. I would love to hear more about that coming yeah. up. Let's go back a little bit. Let's get to know you a little bit more, Rabbi Yosef. Uh, what's your upbringing? Where are you from? And eventually, let's hear how you made it all the way to La Paz. So I'm originally from Guadalajara, Mexico. I was born and raised in Mexico my whole youth. Um, well, I'm still very young, but still. Uh, my childhood, we could say. Um, I grew up in Guadalajara. It's the second biggest city in Mexico. It's a five-hour drive in Mexico City. In the Baja, we are kind of annexed or separated from the mainland. Um, my home is really interesting. It's actually, we are, I say it is not an observant home yet. Uh, growing up, there was uh, a little bit of Jewish identity, but really non-existent. Uh, in Mexico, being... Um, how can we say it? Being a minority of a minority of a minority is a little bit difficult. You know, it's, it's very monochromatic in Mexico. About 95, 96% of the country are Catholic, Roman Catholic. And when it talks about other religions or anything else that is not Catholic, it's already a minority. Uh, Judaism, it's very centralized in Mexico. The main community, uh, Jewish community in Mexico is in Mexico City. It's actually, I think, is the second biggest uh, Syrian Jewish community in the world. And it's rather isolated because of the fact that it's being a minority. Um, so in Guadalajara, there was the offshoot of the main community of Mexico City. Guadalajara is blessed with a lot of industry, um, a lot of tech, a lot of different like manufacturers, metals, and so on. I grew up there till I was 11, 11 to 12 years old. And then I migrated to Los Angeles, California. Um, my parents, they are, they actually divorced. So my mom still lives in Guadalajara, Mexico. My father lives in California. So what happened when I was 13 years old, well, it was 11 years old, I moved to Los Angeles and my father was like right in the center of the epicenter of the Jewish community of Los Angeles in Hancock Park, close to Congregation Levi Yitzchak with uh, Rabbi Reichick, make you rest in peace. And um, we used to, my father was already observant when he migrated to the States, he found Judaism. Uh, to make a very long story very short, he was completely not observant and he went to New York for a business trip. And on his way back, he met a rabbi, his name is Rabbi Nachman Shapiro. He is a spiritual mentor in Oli Torah Institute in Brooklyn, New York, in Crown Heights. And uh, this rabbi that for a profession guides a bunch of young in training rabbis, um, he met my father and he asked him, sir, are you Jewish? You know, we tend to do that in Chabad. 
<laughs> and he asked him, sir, are you Jewish? He's like, ah, don't bother me. Ended up being that my father ended up sitting next to him in a plane on the way back from New York to California. And having him uh, being very insistent and very persistent uh, for five, six hours, he ended up putting him to fill in for the first time in his life. And a few months later, he reconnected to Judaism. He became very observant and uh, he got remarried. And he continued, you know, he was living a regular, you know, orthodox lifestyle in the middle of California, very integrated within the community and so on. Um, I moved in with my father and uh, as a teenager, I don't know, maybe I'm the only one that is a little bit of a problematic teenager. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was looking for alternatives to be out of the house. And one of the alternatives that I found a lot of peace is going to synagogue very early. It wasn't for anything holy or anything like that. It wasn't to study, so on. It was just simply a place that it was open early. It was quiet and peaceful. I was able to read books, read storybooks, novels that I was interested in. And then when the prior service came in, I actually used to leave. Um, this synagogue actually was in the home of a very special person. His name is uh, Was Beryl Weiss. He is from LA. He actually came, he's a Holocaust survivor. He was a Holocaust survivor. He passed away recently. And, um, and he had a rabbi that he had for his little, his little shul. He always wanted to have a shul at home, a synagogue at home. So his name was Rabbi Lukowski, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Lukowski. He used to give a class in preparation for prayer. Uh, the services were 11 o'clock, was a little bit later. And from, 11, from 10 to 11, he used to give a class on Hasidic philosophy. He, one day he came early, like at 9.30, to prepare the class. And he noticed that I was already there in synagogue for a long, long time. So after he noticed that, he made a point to start coming to synagogue at 8 o'clock. And he started learning with me. And we started learning. We started studying more. We started talking and talking a lot. And uh, as a teenager, I just wanted someone to listen to me. So this rabbi, he made a point not to only be the one. And he started inviting everyone to come at 8 o'clock in the morning to start preparing, saying, like, even better, we have more time to study. Um, ended up being some people of the community of that little synagogue. They started making cheesecake and ended up becoming like a custom. Um, after a while, I made the decision to start going to a Jewish school. I went to a Jewish school called Valley Torah. And then after one year, I said, I want to advance a little bit more. I want to grow more. And I started attending uh, Yeshiva's Oral Hanan Chabad in Los Angeles in my last year of high school. From Los Angeles, I went to Oli Torah again, made the full circle back with uh, Robert Shapiro that he became my mentor too. And then I went to a little bit of a rabbinic internship or shlichut to help out the yeshiva of Miami in South Beach, the Yeshiva Gedola or Rabbinical College of Florida. And when I was in Miami, I had the great opportunity to go to Israel for two weeks. Um, when I was in Israel, I was already finishing my rabbinate. I was, while I was in, in Florida, I was learning my rabbinate, my smicha, and I concluded my testing in Israel because I wanted to have like a recognized smicha by the main rabbinate of Israel. So I visited other rabbis that they could provide me with this. And uh, because I really went all in <laughs> from not really having any knowledge to start desiring to become a rabbi, I wasn't so sure if I wanted to become a rabbi by profession, but at least by education, I wanted to be. And um, ended up studying and ended up finishing my testing in Israel. And I wanted to go to Hebron. Hebron is in the past the green line, as we say, in the area of Judah and Samaria. And it's uh, the city of the patriarchs. That's where the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their wives, they are buried in the Maratha Machpelah or the Cave of the Patriarchs, as it's called. Um, I was supposed to be there for three days. And with Rabbi Danny Cohen and his uh, director of operations, Itzik Neimark, I said, you know, don't, don't tell this to my wife, but I said it was love at first sight. Um, <laughs> literally, I decided to stay there and I loved it. And I ended up joining the team of Chabad Hebron for two years. Uh, my responsibility was doing more like Jewish enrichment activities with the local basis. 
that they had. They had many different uh, army points, army checkpoints over there. Uh, part of the job was, for example, we had the night shift. It was from eight o'clock to eight o'clock in the morning. And what we used to do, we used to do surroundings and we used to get coffee, cookies, talk to soldiers that are staying up the whole night uh, guarding the people. Uh, being if I, if I, Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef, if I can pause you sure. right there because I'd love to focus in on, on this stage of your life. It's actually fascinating because of all the places we visited over the past 42 stops that we've had together as a uh, mitzvah society here. Uh, Israel, we haven't yet made it to Israel. It's a holy land and it's always bothered me. Now, I'm working on it. But here we have uh, Rabbi Yosef who's in Mexico. We're going to get to Mexico soon. Uh, first of all, your story is fascinating and so inspiring just until from what we heard till now. Uh, and, and it's so it's it's great because all the names you mentioned, I I know them very well. Rabbi Nachman Shapiro, who was my teacher, and I, I, I we were in the same school, I guess maybe a few years apart. So yeah. I don't remember you, but uh, Rabbi Nachman is definitely a you know a legend, if you will, <laughs> in the Chabad circles, and to know that he had a you know, I could just imagine him sitting there next to your father and you know, not stopping for five hours straight. That that's that brings such a smile to my face. But so so you get you make it to Israel, you're working on your smichot, you're trying to become a rabbi, at least in education, and you're full on in this, you're you're coming in all the way, and um you end up in Hebron, you love the place, Rabbi Danny Cohen, of course. I'd love to get him on the Zoom here talk about he's the Chabad representative, uh, the main one in Hebron the holy city of Hebron. Uh, so you're there for two years. You decide, yeah. you, you're, you decide to stay. You, you, want, you just came for a visit for three days. I came for a quick time. visit. And I, it's a very, very, very funny story. I didn't have a smartphone and uh, I didn't have long distance. So my father was checking on me all the time while I was in Israel. He was very afraid. Uh, that was 2014, no, 20, the end of 2014, beginnings of 2015. So it was very high conflict. There was a lot of um, different attacks and so on. So my father was very worried and very concerned about me like any good Jewish father. And, and, and my mother, let's not even talk about it now because uh, <laughs> she, if I had a long distance phone, it wouldn't stop because my mom was calling constantly. And uh, I can't blame her. So I was in Hebron and what ended up happening was that I made up a time with my father to call him back. And I didn't call him back because I was with Rabbi Neymark and myself, we were going to visit bases, uh, and he forgot about me in the base. <laughs> he left me there, he just, he went, he went home, he was very preoccupied with whatever he had to do. He forgot about me. I didn't have a really good Hebrew then. I was, my education is more a biblical Hebrew, which is rather different than modern Hebrew. So I was in army base by myself. I go to the, kind of like the infirmary, so to say, with the Tagad, it's called the tactical unit, uh, reunion unit, that it's the medical unit of the, you know, of the brigade, so to say, that it's taking care of. In Hebron, they do a rotation every six months. So the current brigade was Kefir. Um, they specialize in anti-terrorism. And um, so the medical unit, I was trying to find maybe someone spoke English and could help me get it, you know, to the apartment. <laughs> Um, they didn't really speak English and what we ended up doing, we just started, you know, I literally had a book and started like trying to read to each other. I spoke a little bit of English that I had. I spoke one guy, actually his parents were from Argentina. So I was able to communicate with him in Spanish. I started doing my biblical Hebrew and, um, uh, it was not pretty in certain times. <laughs> the words have changed in the new language. And there was a lot of misunderstandings, but we ended up bonding with music, actually. We started playing some Jewish music. We started dancing. Um, I had some shekels with me. We bought some snacks, say some blessings. And before I noticed, Itzik comes back. The rabbi comes back at midnight, starts yelling. I will be looking for you for the whole city. I didn't know where you were. And I was just like, literally just chilling with his soldiers and having a wonderful time. And uh, he said, hey, what are you doing next year? <laughs> and uh, I told him what I'm planning on doing is going to 770 to the headquarters of Chabad uh, to further push my studies. And uh, from there, on, from then on to maybe get a job, see where life takes me. 
Um, he said, no, you're not. You're staying here for the year. <laughs> you're staying here for the year, please. <laughs> I loved Incredible. it for the year. I spoke to my father about it. He was a little bit angry, <laughs> but he liked the idea. And he said only in the condition if I get a smartphone to be able to have communication with him constantly. And uh, agreed. And the rest is history. Um, while so being let's, Hebron. Yeah, let's uh, talk yeah. about Let's talk yeah. about the Chabad activities of Hebron. Uh, you talked about being stuck in an army base, and that was, I love that, that story in itself, just, you know, getting stuck, but that turned into the greatest, one of the greatest moments of your life, and this bonding beyond language with uh, Israeli soldiers, uh, which, you know, especially such a, uh, such a uh, intense uh, Israeli unit. So let's talk about that more, uh, the, the general um, activities of Chabad and Hebron in Israel, and more, more specifically, what you did on uh, for those two years. The, the number one purpose of Chabad Hebron or any army activities in Israel is to remember and to remind the soldiers that they are not alone. You know, we cannot see or feel Hashem in a day-to-day -day basis. There's moments that we, we feel more inspired and we feel his presence much more. However, the soldiers are in constant conflict. They're in active duty. And a lot of times, because it's something that is mandatory from all the citizens of Israel, they could feel a little bit underappreciated. Um, so our main mission is to remember that the same way they're grateful to Hashem, we're grateful to the people that do the service and they protect the people of Hashem and they're protecting the Jewish people on a constant basis. So we do like enrichment activities with Judaism, rem remind them that they need to seek uh, refuge or you know, seek Hashem during these times of high risk of their lives um, by putting on tefillin, by, you know, sometimes we put mezuzot in the different army points. Um, we always, you know, as we say, it's not enough until you spoil them. You cannot spoil a soldier. So we bring all kinds of snacks, foods, barbecues for them to feel appreciated and to feel motivated too. Um, one of the main things that we do also is counseling because a lot of them are very young. They're going from 18 years old without no prior knowledge in life or responsibility. And they're going straight into the front lines. So it could be very, like, it could be very overwhelming for them. So just to remind them, they have a friend, a friend that is in, a, either has been in that situation or that it's outside of that situation that is able to remind them that everything will be fine and they have someone to count on. That, that's the main purpose of Chabad HaChavran. Of course, any kind of holidays, any kind of Jewish activities, they work in partnership with the local administration and they make sure that the soldiers get a little bit of, uh, not only in the base, but also by the citizens of the, of the places that they are, by the civilians, by the places that they're protecting, that they should feel integrated and not only serving, but also being a part of that community. Incredible. Wow. Wow. Just the Israeli soldiers know that they have, you know, they have where to turn uh, more than just the spiritual, but also just the physical, just the emotional, just to know that they, they have a brother. What an incredible thing to have. And you were part of that for these two years. It started off being stuck, but bonding with music and just uh, schmoozing, I guess, but not, yeah. not with really words. So what did you, so, so more than, uh, I guess, the activities that you were there, how did it feel to be in Hebron, which is, uh, on all accounts, a dangerous place? Uh, how did it feel being there and, and being there for the soldiers going to army bases, which could be even more dangerous, perhaps? What was the general feeling that you had uh, being there for two years? Either the um, lack of maturity from being young or not having a lot of experience in life, I didn't really feel any danger. And there's sometimes it did go through my mind after speaking to my parents, uh, you know, like, hey, you know, <laughs> you're in a very high conflict area. So, and I told them, listen, you know, mom, dad, don't worry about it. I'm always protected. I'm literally surrounded by soldiers 24 seven. So there's really nothing to worry about. Um, one of the most beautiful things that Rabbi Danny and one of the things that made me do a transition from wanting to be a rabbi in education, but wanted to be a practicing rabbi and uh, to practice it as a career and so on uh, and as a service was that every time there's a transition from a unit in the army, uh, Danny Cohen used to have the same, the rabbi, the rabbi in Hebron used to give the same speech, as you say. And he said, Hebron comes from the Hebrew word of Hebur, connection. It's the place the patriarchs and their wives, they are, and the matriarchs, they are the common denominator of every single Jewish person. A Jew is not born with a kippah, 
with a tzitzit, with a talit, with a head covering. We're all born the same. We're not even born as a man. We're not even born with a with a, with a brit milah. With a, so we literally is the common denominator just from being born Jewish. It's it's a place that we can all really connect and relate to one another. So Rabbi Danny used to say, forget about the beards, forget about the uh, the clothing and the look of the ultra-Orthodox or Orthodox. Just remember, it's a Jew taking care of his brother, and that's it. And speaking to Rabbi Cohen, Rabbi Cohen actually served in the army when he was uh, at his age, from 18 to 21, and he ended up serving for extended voluntary time. And I was speaking to him, trying to find myself in life, and um, it already came the option uh, of being in La Paz. And this is before I got married. This is as a single young guy, as a student. And I'll, I'll speak more about it. But Rabbi Cohen told me something very important. You know what is the success that I have here? It's because I could empathize with the soldiers because I went through the same things that they went through. So I, I am successful because the Rabbi, in his uh, wisdom, he sent me to be able to empathize and to help other people in the situation that I've been. And I superated, I went through it, I surpassed it. And now I'm, um, I can share my experience. So I'm in the place that I needed, not in the place that I necessarily wanted to be. They started off in Chicago. <laughs> and um, that really resonated with me. And um, what we have in that conversation, what happened was that La Paz, here locally, the synagogue in La Paz was founded in 2013. And they had a rabbi, they started off with a rabbi. The rabbi was Israeli and Israeli culture and mannerisms are very different than Mexican or American. Uh, very upfront, very, we could say blunt. Since everyone is family, we don't have to be like the whole concept of like, you know, being overly polite as we can say. We Rabbi Yosef, let me, sorry, let me just interrupt for a moment there. Just we're moving on to Mexico now. So I wanna make it crystal clear for everyone here listening. So what a, an incredible message you, you're, you're hearing from the, the, let's call him the chief rabbi, I don't know, the chief rabbi, but the chief Chabad Shliach in uh, Hebron. Uh, he's, he, he, well, he said that his success there with the soldiers is that he, he's, been, he's been there, he was a soldier himself as a young guy, and he can empathize with them, and it's about being where he's needed, not where he wants to be. Um, and you're hearing this from him as you already have a calling uh, in La Paz, Mexico, which is close by or same place, same country where you grew up. So you're saying, hey, you know, I could do the same thing. I can empathize with my fellow people in Mexico because that's where I'm from. And uh, this is the call. And, and let's just, before we get actually to the, the, the community in Mexico, what was that calling? Where, how did it actually come up? About, you're in Hebron, you're in Hebron. How did it get to, how did La Paz get to you? Um, looking for you to come by. I understand that's where you started uh, with the story that there was a little bit of a, a riffraff with the rabbi that was there in, in 2013. So let's so, go on from there. 2013, uh, Rabbi Pikarski is a really great guy. He is, I'm in constant communication with him. I admire him so much. Um, the language wasn't his forte. He didn't really speak Spanish. Um, there weren't a lot of Americans as he expected in this community. So he was having a hard time, I'm gonna be honest. He had four children. Uh, communication was scarce, and um, he found, by a family member of his, an opportunity to be the rabbi for a Israeli center in Atlanta. So he felt it was going to be more appropriate for him to be there, and he ended up migrating to Atlanta, Georgia, in the, in the States, and he's been there for about seven years, having a great, successful community, and using his talents to the best of his capabilities. So the community here, the board actually decided saying like, okay, one rabbi is not enough. So let's bring 10, 20 rabbis. So what they decided to do with a friend of mine, his name is Ellie Engelson. He is originally from California moved to New York. He always had like a traveling, like a nomadic yeshiva, like a seminary that goes from place to place to place to place. And uh, they study, they help the local community. And it was really a wonderful concept, but they were looking to be a little more established. Nowadays, they're in New York. They're based, they're called Shua Skolel, in memory of Shua Polanski. He was a young man that passed away way too young. And um, so they are having activities. 
to help form not necessarily rabbis, but people with a very strong inclination and proclivity towards Judaism and proud and pride of being Jewish. So Ellie is my friend. He doesn't know a lot of Spanish-speaking Jews. And um, his father, actually, he, I had a close contact with him. We used to learn together. And he said, you got to call Joseph. The guy is not just Spanish-speaking, he's Mexican. You got to send him there. Like, what, what, what is even the question? And Ellie calls me in Israel and he says, you know, I, I cannot take you away from the Holy Land, but we really need your help. We would love if you could come here at least to check it out and you can help us. I came into La Paz as the Spanish speaking rabbi, as a supplement to the main rabbi that was Rabbi Engelson. And he was also the spiritual mentor of these uh, kids from 18 to 24. So I decided to give it a chance, especially after listening to Rabbi Cohen. It's the place that needs you, not the place that necessarily you expected or hoped to be. There's a lot of Hebrew speaking rabbis in Israel, but there wasn't even one Mexican born shliach in Mexico. <laughs> So I decided to come to help him out. And after four months of the yeshiva, I became the administrator, anything that had to do with budgeting, staffing, uh, classes for the Spanish speaking community and day-to-day uh, -day activities and so on. Um, four months in, it happened to be the anniversary of the passing of the previous Rebbe of Chabad or the father-in-law of the Rebbe. And traditionally, young students go to New York. My father told me, you're 22 already. You have to start looking into the whole shduchim uh, or a potential match. And I'm like, I have time. Please don't rush this up. No, no, but you at least start looking into something. And I'm like, okay, fine. Made a profile. And then my father, oh, there's this wonderful girl from Chicago in New York. And you're going to be in New York for that week. Maybe you guys can meet. I'm like, I'm not really looking right now. I'm, I had time. There's no rush. No, but I really insist, I think it will be a great opportunity. And I'm like, are you gonna stop bothering me if I do it? Yes, but don't <laughs> be like, just go once and you know, then I'm not gonna bother you. Give it a chance. Uh, a trip that was supposed to be a week ended up being a few weeks, a few months. And uh, now she's my wife. <laughs> um, Yes, my wife actually, in the second time that we went out, I was so excited about Mexico and I told them, I told her I really had a little bit of direction, you know, when you're so young and looking to get married, finding like in a specific place to be and having a little bit of direction is a big blessing. So I was so excited already and I was, couldn't stop speaking about La Paz. And it's, you know, the economics of it, the weather, the, the kind of like, up like the morals or ethics of the place being so family oriented. It's, I said, it's not just a sacrifice that we have to make, but it's rather a privilege to live there. And my wife said, don't speak about Mexico again. I'm not moving to third world country. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you can, if you continue being so insistent, this is just not going to work out. So I said, this is the, this is, I was very decided already that I was going to marry my wife. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, so it means that maybe not that place in Mexico. Maybe, maybe there's going to be more people of Spanish language speaking, Spanish speaking or Mexican origin in the States. And my wife wants to be in the States. Uh, I'm sure that we're supposed to be together. So I, I'm sure I'm going to refine my calling. Um, we moved to LA for our first year of marriage. And I started working in the Aleph Institute. The Aleph Institute is a non-governmental organization which provides humanitarian help, religious assistance to people in prison. It's just day-to-day -day activities. Uh, one of the most beautiful things of the Aleph Institute is called the Tikva Initiative, the Tikva Project, the Hope Project. And it's actually mainly aimed to young adults from ages of 16 all the way to 25. And people that struggle with substance abuse, it's an alternative sentencing, what it means instead of them being judged like regular criminals, they, it's put into account the emotional trauma that they've been through, uh, substance abuse history that they had. And instead of then serving a regular sentence, they put a contingency to send them to our rehabilitation centers to receive the proper care that they didn't receive before. Uh, this is open to all people from all denominations, Jewish, not Jewish, whatever it is. It's just 
giving another chance in life. I was working with them for the full year. And uh, while living in LA, uh, my wife started uh, expecting. And she was really um, very excited, being a new mom, young family. And the kind of priorities started shifting a little bit. And um, I think the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back is that we were walking in a park in LA and my wife was like, anything baby, she was so excited about. And we see a stroller in the park and my wife is like, hey, can I see your baby? He's like, of course, they're actually, they're two babies. They're my babies. And my wife is so thrilled. She's like, she thinks she's gonna be seeing twins. They raised the canopy of the stroller and there's two dogs. Um, my wife likes dogs, I like dogs, but it, it was a little bit like shocking to see that sense of endearment and, um, you know, it, it, was, it was very nice. I see like, wow, those are very lucky dogs. Um, and my wife started thinking about like, I want to see more children around. I, and um, we actually came, oh wow, we actually came, uh, Gary saying that he has a sister-in-law that moved to La Paz about six months ago. And um, what ended up happening was that we went to help Rabbi Benny in Los Cabos. And uh, I had to give it a shot. I took my wife to La Paz to show her. Um, six months later, we get a phone call from the board of Orshul or Bethiona saying like, Yossi, we remember you, we miss you. And we would love if you and your wife could be the rabbi in Robinson of La Paz. I said, I would love to, I, I would also love to be there, but I know my wife's not interested and she's first. And he, uh, his name is Daniel. He's the founder of a synagogue. Beth Yona is named in the memory of his uh, early deceased brother, Yona. And uh, he got the phone number of my wife and called her. <laughs> <laughs> I come back from work. It's like, you won't imagine the type of phone call that I got. And he's like, yeah, you got a phone call to come to La Paz and uh, we're gonna be there in about three months. <laughs> I already said yes. So we ended up coming back to La Paz and uh, we've been here since 2018. Wow. Since 2018, my, um, we took the responsibility over the synagogue just because my wife already had a doctor and so on. Uh, we wanted to give birth in Los Angeles where we were living. And then one month after my daughter Gabriela was born, we moved to La Paz in the 12th of Tammuz. Beautiful. Wow, what an incredible story. What a journey <laughs> all over all over the place. And uh, wow, I wanna share with everybody, uh, Rabbi Yosef, uh, a few of the pictures and a video just to show everybody how, uh, how much you needed to convince your wife, I guess, to uh, <laughs> come to La Paz. I hope that this is gonna come out. Uh, the video will come out clear. Um, I found this on Rabbi Yosef's Instagram account. So check this out. This is Rabbi Yosef, right? Okay, tell us exactly where you are. I'm going to put the sound on. I think this is an incredible video right here. Let's let's see. Here we go. Oh, the, the, the zoom is a little bit strong. Actually, was a hillside residence, and uh, it's called the Petrogol. It's a private community, and it's on the hill, and it gives uh, ocean view all over. It's La Paz is 50% ocean and sea and beach, and 50% desert. It's in the Baja. It's actually the 100 miles above the southern the southernmost part of Baja California Sur, 
you know, that little spike that comes out of California, of America. So it's called the Baja Peninsula. So we are right in the center and we are surrounded by the Sea of Cortez, that little strip between Baja and mainland Mexico, and then the Pacific Ocean. Great place, it's a great place for fishing. Uh, the weather is rather hot in the summer, but winter is uh, a slice out of heaven. <laughs> Look at that, slice out of heaven in La Paz, Mexico. Rabbi Yosef, you know, you're really uh, getting us very jealous. And uh, please God, very soon with, with everything uh, coming down, we're, we're coming down as well to uh, visit you. I don't know who's going to get you, get, you know, between Las Cabos or La Paz. It's going to be a tough one, but maybe we'll have to visit both. We see, I think, is that Gabriela there next Yeah, year? that's Gabriela. Hello, Gabriela. She's being wow. a little shy. Incredible. <laughs> Lots of nachas. So, so let's wrap things up. It is a little bit late, and I want to have a chance for questions. I do want to share also, you sent me some beautiful pictures of your shul. Tell us more about Beth Yonah, the, 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 which is the synagogue that you run um, with your wife and your daughter. Um, let me pull up the, the pictures here and tell us more about the daily activities uh, kosher food, how you will make sure to have that, uh, and just in general Jewish life in La Paz, and then we'll go to questions from the chat and from the mics for those that would like to. Uh, while you speak, tell us about the activities. I'll show the pictures that so, you sent me. Beth Yona started as a inspiration and a beacon for Jewish people like outside the United States or Israel. Uh, Beth Yona was founded by a Tunisian Jew, actually, the Beravid family, and uh, they did it in memory of their deceased brother, Jonah. That's what's called Beth Yonah. Um, a few years later, there was a partnership with the Hackman family, which really believe in our cause to have a place that is accessible to every single Jew, a place that they could call home, and especially in a city with Jewish history like La Paz, uh, that it rates, rates back all the way to the 50s. Um, really interestingly, the, um, the Hackman family, when they came in, it was the foundation of the Jewish center of La Paz. And as we can tell, we have a kosher mikvah that it's, um, it's rather, it's, it's a big privilege. We were in 2015, the only mikvah in entire North of Mexico. Wow. Um, it's something essential. It says that a community, if they have funds for a mikvah or, or Torah scroll, they should prioritize the mikvah, the ritual wow. path. And um, we were blessed with uh, different People from all over the world. It's very funny. It's a community in Mexico, but I think myself and another two families are the only Mexican people. <laughs> it's a community that started with tourism. A lot of the people that moved there was based on their desire to learn marine biology. It's one of the biggest universities of marine biology in the continent, the WAPS, it's called. And um, it's our activities are the following. We have services every Shabbat uh, with rain, lightning, storms, doesn't matter what it is. We always have a community meal in the, um, every Friday night and Shabbat morning, we have services. Um, we actually, as you can tell these pictures, these pictures are actually from when there was uh, the yeshiva. And uh, our community, it's around 120 um, Jewish people that I know here in La Paz since we arrived. There are 60 active members. There is uh, Rabbi Benny from Scavos helping right. out with Hanukkah. There's around 60 active members. Our community is 75% um, non-observant yet, as we say. And the, one of the most beautiful things about our community is that um, I have like five out of 10 people when, they, when I meet them, they tell me, Rabbi, I strongly not a religious Jew. I'm proud of being Jewish. I identify myself as Jewish. However, I'm going to be honest with you, this is not my type of thing. However, seeing a synagogue in the middle of La Paz, Mexico, I said I have to go check out what that's about. And some of the people come every single Shabbat, actually. Wow. Um, we have services for the holidays. Um, one of the main things of the yeshiva, when there was, it was very nice. It was a nice breath of fresh air. But something that I always like to uh, emphasize to communities that when we have visitors from outside or tourists or, or Bahurim or young students that are coming out and helping, you have to remember that they are there to inspire and to assist the community, but the core is the community. And what was happening is that the community felt more like spectators. Oh, there's going to be a minyan, there's going to be a quorum of 10 people. The synagogue is taken care of. They don't really need me. And it was actually the contrary is that 
we live out of the congregants, the, the community is not the synagogue or the temple or the place that you go to, it's the people that attend and fill it. So it's, it's a really special community, it's rather small. Um, we are located actually in the center of the city that, that has many stories, um, but few stories that I can speak about, about you know, the great opportunity and what does it mean to being here in La Paz. Um, La Paz is itself a very small city. It's 160,000 residents in, within its entire municipality. What it means, there's a few cities around La Paz, it's 160,000 permanent residents. And La Paz is actually a, as you can say, it's a touristic destination but mainly for expats, people that are desire to forego their American or Canadian citizenship. We have a lot of uh, Canadian visitors from uh, British Columbia, mainly actually from Vancouver, from Calgary, and, um, and from the States, a lot of people migrate to retire or to, um, to live their golden years in La Paz. There's also the famous uh, syndrome of uh, snowbirds. When it's very cold in Canada or in the States, they come for the winter to La Paz. Um, our community was mainly based out of tourists that decided to remain there. Um, there's two beautiful stories that I, I like to share about, you know, the great, how I feel so privileged of living here. One of them was, it's really interesting. We have a member of the community and he owns a few homes here and he rents them out. And uh, he was renting out a house to someone else from a city in the middle of Mexico this person arrives with a lot of um, Catholic images within themselves, crosses, um, statues, their car had a giant sticker of, you know, of uh, Catholic sticker and so on. And it was really interesting. And um, he starts speaking, they start made, drafting a contract, the rentals agreement. And he starts asking, hey, do you, um, where are you from? Tell me about it. I come from Carretero, Mexico but my mom is originally from Mexico City and she was part of the Jewish community. Um, my community member does not, you know, flaunt around like he's Jewish, unless someone asks him, but he's not like, has a giant star David or a high necklace. No, he is very discreet about it. He's getting more along with it. And uh, he said, wow, you know, I'm actually Jewish too. We gotta go to the temple. I ended up meeting this person and starts speaking to him. He tells me his family history ends up being that his mother's mother's mother is Jewish. And he's completely Jewish according to Jewish law. Um, he started putting on tefillin. We, I put him tefillin him the first time. He fell in love with the community. He started attending and uh, he comes. Yeah, he doesn't come as often as I would like to, but uh, he's in his own rhythm. But one of the most beautiful things that we had, we had a naming ceremony for him. He wasn't named like his Britney love, like his circumcision. And he was deciding saying that, look, you thought that Prema, I told him very bluntly, I, I think that's more like my time in Israel. And I told him it's, uh, buddy, I'm sorry to break it to you. You can't escape Judaism. It always hunts you. <laughs> it always, you, no matter how many generations, um, you're, you're always gonna be connected and you're always gonna be a part of our community. And one of the beautiful things that happened was that I have friends in Mexico City and our community is affiliated with the general body, like the Jewish Federation of Mexico. And something incredible was that I was speaking to my friend and I started telling him the last names of this one individual's mother. He starts crying because he says that those are his cousins. Wow. And he hasn't heard about them in three generations, meaning that his, this guy's grandmother, she decided not only to assimilate, but completely leave Judaism and to convert into Christianity. They moved to another place remote from the main community in Mexico City. And, you know, are they observant now? Not yet. Are they keeping kosher? Not yet. Shabbat? Not yet. But what I like to say that our community or any Chabad in the world is not a point where you find Judaism. It's a point of re-encountering Judaism. It's what it's already in our souls. I saw some questions, for example, if we have a lot of Israeli tourists. We do happen to have a lot of Israeli tourists. Um, we don't have people like, they just finish their army service and they do the whole tour or the famous backpackers. 
uh, we have people more like Israeli tourists, mainly they're a little more settled in life and they're looking more for aquatic activities such as scuba diving, fishing and uh, snorkeling and so on. Um, we don't have as many as other places in Mexico or tourism is mainly Mexican regional tourism or people within Mexico and American and Canadian. We do happen to have a lot of Europeans. There's a lot of yachts here or boats. Um, I also saw a question about anti-Semitism. So in Mexico, as a general whole, is there anti-Semitism? There probably is because there's anti-Semitism in the entire world. Um, in La Paz itself, being such a small community and it's very insular, it's very separated from the mainland and from the everything. I don't think this anti-Semitism as per se is more ignorance. So incidents, for example, were like, I'm walking on the boardwalk in the beachside boardwalk with my family and I'm a little bit, I'm tall, dark complexion and uh, my kippah is a little bit like whitish. So sometimes people think that I am uh, Islamic or Muslim. So for example, here in Mexico, I pass by the boardwalk with my family and I hear someone saying, Allah Akbar, and it's just like, uh, it's not like in the States that someone will feel threatened per se. It's just like one second, what's happening over here? Okay, Allah Akbar, very good. Um, sir, I'm Jewish and if you like to say something, you can say Shalom. Oh, you're Jewish. Oh, like the ones in, uh, in New York with the funny things on the side, no? With the funny <laughs> side locks. Yes, yes, like those ones, but without the side locks. They don't grow too much with me. And, uh, and they're like, oh, wow. And because it's so heavily Christian, they do have an appreciation to Judaism because of the fact that uh, their main figure was Jewish. Um, very interesting because when my father-in-law comes to visit, he, um, what do you call it? He has a very long white beard. So 50% of the people think that he's Santa Claus. And the other 50% of the people think, wow, he's the great rabbi of Europe or the United States. He came to visit La Paz in vacation with his family. Uh, I see why they ask me why I don't wear a black kippah. Because a black kippah with my black hair is not noticeable. Mm -hmm. I wear a shiny kippah. So when people see me walking around the street, because I do not wear my black hat and my jacket everywhere, maybe I should start. However, <laughs> the weather is not prone to that. So my white kippah, it's a big symbol. Actually, I wish I could send you a picture of my car. We um, wrapped it in vinyl and it's, uh, we call it the mitzvah tank. The one downside is that I don't want to give a bad name to our community. So therefore I have to drive like a very nice, respectable human being. <laughs> Can I be a reckless driver? Hey, you're coming from Israel. Okay. <laughs> Rabbi Yosef, this has been an absolutely wonderful trip as the, one of our listeners wrote to me this. You are a truly gifted storyteller. One of the best trips we've had yet. I, I absolutely agree. And thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. And so much of your spirit, I mean, you just, you, you put me into such a good mood. Uh, and we heard about Judaism and the activities of Chabad Shlochim, uh, starting off in Mexico, moving along to Israel. We got a little bit of uh, LA, California with the uh, work that they do for the prisoners at, at the Aleph Institute, which is a, a very huge and a beautiful organization uh, based in Florida. They have branches all over the states and beyond. And then we got to hear about your community in La Paz as well. Wow, you really took us around the world today. And uh, for all that you do and the tremendous work that is going into the community in La Paz is, I'm sure they are so, so lucky they, and, and they love that you are their leader uh, there with your wife and your daughter. And you should have lots of atzlacha, lots Amen. of success. If there's any way that we can uh, reach you, if, there, if anybody wants to contact you more, perhaps wants to come visit you, uh, you can get lots of visitors from this Zoom, I know. I would like to uh, extend an invitation to everyone in the Zoom or anyone that you might know. It's uh, our community is always open. We uh, do attend tourists. Uh, tourists. We have uh, kosher catering services on our website. Uh, we also have our meats. We actually bring them, we import them from Mexico City. There is a very big infrastructure there for kosher. We have all types of kosher meats. I bring wines from Europe and from Argentina. And we have a beautiful mikvah. And we literally have all the amenities for living a fully plenty uh, Jewish lifestyle. Uh, everyone is invited or even we, it's not my profession per se, I'm not a tour guide, but any help with finding activities or anything, amenities, accommodations, 
uh, in La Paz or its surroundings, at least to be able to direct you to the appropriate places. Beautiful. Wow. We got to say a, that a our community, sorry, we like to say that our community is an oasis for, uh, for the body and the soul. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. And I think I posted the right website, jewishlapaz.org. That's right. Yeah. Fantastic. So you can check out more of Rabbi Yosef and all the activities. And if you're planning to take him up on his offer, do it. It's definitely worthwhile. Uh, definitely an, an oasis for your body and soul taken care of with Jewish, with, with catered kosher food and La Paz. Can't get better than that with such a beautiful uh, background. Just imagine a beautiful vacation right there. Rabbi Yosef, I wish we could go on longer. I got to cut it short over here. We'll have to definitely come back. This was uh, an amazing stop. Thank you so much again for your time and for stepping up to the plate so quickly and for sharing with us so much and inspiring us with mitzvahs. I mean, we always love to focus in on, on, on the ripple effect of one mitzvah. And I think you are uh, the best story of a ripple effect. Just, you know, start what you started off with the, uh, the tefillin laying uh, that uh, the Rabbi Nachman uh, uh, did with your father on the plane. Uh, Rabbi Nachman... Uh, being the teacher, uh, later on your own teacher, uh, and then that kind of the ripple effect that it had on your father, and then where you are today, and the service and the mitzvahs that you're doing with your community in La Paz, and the inspiration you shared with us here all the way in Montreal. Look at the ripple effect of just one mitzvah. What a powerful message that is, and uh, so beautifully said. Thank you so much again. Can you can you end us off with something in uh, Mexican, some some blessing, goodbye, something in the, the language? Uh... I, I could say La Paz means shalom. So, really? Yeah, La Paz <laughs> means the peace. So we have the slogan right now, especially what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah. In La Paz, we have the slogan, La Paz es posible. The peace is possible. It, it is, is possible, possible, especially now with the coming of Mashiach very speedily. Amen, amen. What a beautiful message to leave off with in Mexican. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Spanish. Spanish, sorry. <laughs> Take care. All right. Thank you, Rabbi Yosef, again. Good luck with everything. Have a wonderful week, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us here. Let's keep in mind our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. And as Rabbi Yosef said, La Paz. Es uh, posible. Exactly. And uh, we can do that with more Torah, more mitzvahs. And what an inspiration to start off this week with so many more mitzvahs, giving more tzedakah, more prayer, more shema, and everything else that we can do to help out our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. Thank you for that inspiration, Rabbi Yosef. Thank All you. The best. Thank you. Bye. A wonderful Thank week, everybody. See you next week, please, God. In Find all of our brothers and sisters all around the world, all around the world, to keep them in mind Amen. and uh, hope for their pray for their safety. All the best, everybody. Amen.